0: Between 2028 and 2035 is sort of the, the future that we're looking at in terms of how multi-domain operations as a concept addresses how we fight differently in the future. And it's not so far out in the future where you've sort of uh, driven past your headlights and you and you are more more guessing about uh, what the future will look like.
1: In the past, the way that we've built capabilities for Army personnel is that hey, we built something for you, now you go out and use it. I I think in the future, we're gonna expect operational army, tactical army to be at the center of capability development.
2: Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Modern War Institute podcast. I'm John Embo, editorial director at MWI, and this episode features a conversation I had the chance to record with Major General John George and Mr. Jay Harrison. When we originally recorded the episode, General George was deputy director of the Army's Futures and Concepts Center, and Mr. Harrison was serving as the Command Innovation Officer at Army Futures Command. General George is now the commander of the Combat Capabilities Development Command, and Mr. Harrison is John R. Boyd National Security Innovation Fellow at NYU. As you would probably assume by the roles that both of my guests have held, this was a discussion all about the future and innovation. But as you'll hear, that goes well beyond the sort of high tech gadgetry we often think of when we talk about the future battlefield. It's also about new ways of organizing, new doctrine, new personnel policies, and more. This episode really does represent about the best reflection of just how the army is going about preparing to operate, fight, and win in the future. Before we get to the conversation, just a couple quick notes. First, if you aren't yet subscribed to the MWI podcast, you can find it and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And second, as always, what you hear in this episode are the views of the participants and don't represent those of West Point, the Army, or any other agency of the U.S. government. All right, let's get to the conversation. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining me on this episode of the MWI podcast. We're gonna chat about the future and, and how the Army can best prepare for it, but I kinda of wanna begin by maybe framing the conversation. You know, the the future is by definition indefinite, but what sort of horizon lines should we be focused on? Is the Army focused on? How far out into the future are we looking?
0: Yeah, I'll take a stab at this from sort of the concept and um, modernization sort of strategy view. Uh, so what, we've, what we do is we look at the future really, um, out to uh, FY 2035 right now, and um, and that's sort of the long, um, the long point of what the vision that we're focused on. But what the secretary and the chief have told us to do is um, develop um, a, a multi-domain operational capable army by 2028. So they put a mark on the wall, which last year was essentially 10 years out. So between 2028 and 2035 is sort of the the future that we're looking at in terms of how multi-domain operations as a concept addresses how we fight differently in the future. And I think that's also the time period that um, uh, you'll see the delivery of, of these uh, cross-functional team capabilities into formations. Um, so it's it, it actually aligns nicely with the delivery of new material solutions. Um, and it's not so far out in the future where You've sort of uh, driven past your headlights, headlights, and you and you are more more guessing about uh, what the future will look like. So I, I would just say I think 2028 to 2035 um, gives us an opportunity to have a what we would call a grounded projection into the future, and it's based on analysis of, of what we've seen with the Russians um, and the and the developments that the Chinese are investing in.
2: Okay. Anything to add to that? Is it I mean is there is there is there an argument for really horizon gazing beyond that or is that from a hardware perspective from a from a concept development perspective is that just really it's it's it, it's a waste of time to really look beyond that and then second is that, is that a sh- that's, presumably that's a shifting target we're always kind of looking as you said in in the headlights which are moving ahead with of the vehicle
1: so I guess from my perspective, um, and if I could tell you what the technology landscape is going to look like in uh, 2025 or next year, uh, I would be all in in the stock market and, and uh, you know doing that, <laughs> that sort of thing. The, the realities, uh, at least from where I sit today, are that, that our frameworks for how we conceptualize how we're going to compete in the future have to be able to withstand shock. And uncertainty, because the the rate of technological change, the rate of of change in the threat environment, being driven by emerging technologies, we are going to be surprised constantly. Uh, so, how do you update? How do you refresh? How do you how do you uh, internalize these these dynamics in a way that we can reinvent ourselves continuously to adapt? to that uncertainty and adapt to that change. And I do think that's, those are sort of fundamental characteristics of, of what we're looking at in our concepts. Um, on the technology front specifically, we can't necessarily tell you what combinations of technologies are gonna be the things that will produce the differentiated uh, combat capability that we need to deploy very far in advance. So we have to be looking at ways to accommodate that change, like open architectures, like standards-based acquisition, like... Uh, you know. What does that mean? Standards-based? Well, I mean, you have a Samsung and I have an iPhone, we can still talk to each other. So if a, a new technology comes out that complies with a standard that the Army sets, then we can buy a lot of different options. We can always be have the state of the art available to us without specifying exactly the innards of that of that solution. They have to comply to certain standards as opposed to being built to to our specifications okay
2: so when we're thinking about this I think I mean the dot pf framework is useful as it as it often is um, so we're you know concept development and which will inevitably lead to ultimately lead to doctrine development uh, you got organizational changes you certainly got hardware changes in the material category all of these things do they are they developing sort of in parallel with one another and and I would imagine that it's sort of a challenge to marry them up so that they're always sort of moving together uh, is that the case
0: yeah it's a it's a great observation and it's a problem that we've had um, historically, uh, you know, specifically over the last 15 to 20 years where we've, when we talk about modernization, most people think about material solutions, right? The widget, the thing, the piece of kit that we're going to field. Um, what what we're doing now, I think, is flipping that, um, uh, it's not flipping it on, on its head, but it's really broadening it to the entire dot mil PFP. And so by that, w- what I mean is, um, if you've got um, a concept that tells you how you have to fight differently in the future, the concept is about People formations. It's about uh, the conditions of the of the future operating environment, um, and it requires the integration of all those things to be successful to have a capability that actually matters in those uh, future environments. So, at um, inside of the Army Futures Command, uh, on behalf of the Futures Command commander, what we're doing at uh, Fort Eustis and FCC is we're um, writing. new army modernization strategy that actually addresses every one of those uh, elements Um, and so you can imagine a a document that's very broad and it has a chapter for example for doctrine it's got a chapter for personnel it's got a chapter for facilities and um, it's it's uh, purpose is to do exactly what you said is to align those so that uh, as we deliver formations the leader training's ready the, um, our leader development, the training uh, paradigm has been changed to accommodate the new conditions. Uh, those organizations are being built as CFT capabilities are being delivered to them, so it's the alignment and synchronization across all of those um, elements. And the futures commander, Army Futures Command commander, um, General Murray, is not just um, giving guidance to his command. He's actually giving guidance to the entire Future Force modernization enterprise across the Army, So in this document, it's going to have the objectives and the end states for the facilities piece. And so those that are in AXM and uh, um, MCOM actually have a role to play in delivering uh, power projection platforms at the installation level, uh, as, as an example.
2: So where are we kind of in in are we we in the initial steps you know the first inches on a hundred yard march down the down the football field so to speak or are we at the 10 yard line or or is it sort of constantly shifting and we're always you know in the red zone but the red zone shifts
0: yeah so um we expect to actually deliver the document within the next several months Um, we started on it in the fall and uh aligned it to the multi-domain operations concept um, which is critical so now we ha- actually have a concept and understanding of how we fight in the future that we align our modernization efforts to um, So the first first one we deliver is going to have essentially a ten-year view um, And the first modernization th- strategy the first strategy we deliver will, will say hey w- the the idea is to deliver a 2028 capable force um, but we're, we're actually looking beyond that uh, to the 2035 time frame because we know that there are other capabilities that will continue to mature, formations that have to um, evolve and, and be redesigned. Um, and so every, I would expect every three to four years, out of necessity, as we learn through our experimentation, modeling stimulation, as we look at new capabilities, we'll actually have to rewrite that document. But the intent is to keep it sort of as a, a document that looks to a 10-year time frame, And in the in-between time, what we're doing uh, on behalf of the commander is essentially like uh, you would expect um, for a training program, right? If you're a battalion commander, uh, your brigade commander gives you your training objectives. You go back to back brief him or her on, hey, here's what you told me to do. Um, here's the resources that I have. Here's what I'm going to accomplish. And, and that's a sort of like a quarterly event, right? You go back and you update them. We're gonna do the same thing for the commander, uh, General Murray, where the enterprise, the example with the facilities folks, they will come back on a quarterly basis and update him on the progress that they've made in moving the, you know, the ball down the uh, field, as your analogy is, uh, to delivering you know, those installations and where they have problems, where they have resource issues, uh, as a chance to adjudicate and um, adjust the strategy and the near-term
2: um, goals as we need to. What are the biggest changes or biggest challenges excuse me um, to innovation obviously you know the obvious one that I think would come to most people's minds are the cultural challenges in an organization that is big and sometimes slow um, but are there other challenges to innovation within the army?
1: yeah I mean so let me I'll, I'll partially answer that and then and then at the same time comment on something that general George said and, and, and that's the the changes that are really driving the warfighting environment today and, and commercial markets today, in many cases, are driven from the bottom up. So we, we have to have a business model for how the Army is going to fight and how the Army is going to achieve a competitive advantage. But the, the shocks that promulgate through the system are, are, in many cases, being driven by folks at the bottom whether they're internal individuals who are finding out a new solution that we need to try to internalize into our concept or into our requirements or into our research and development activities or by adversaries who are out there experimenting with emerging technologies in ways that we can't possibly anticipate. So in the past, I would say that our material development uh, architecture you know, it starts with the top, it starts with concepts and flows down to requirements and research and development, and then acquisition.
2: What are the optimal mechanisms to allow for that
1: bottom-up uh, innovation? So that that's, in fact, what we're, that's a big part of what we're focused on right now. Uh, I'll give you an example of, uh, of one vector. Um, we, we are in, in the process of developing uh, a national network of university partnerships that we are tying in to operational army units. So we just inked an agreement with Vanderbilt University and the 101st, where we're bringing soldiers, practitioners who have direct exposure to emerging needs, emerging gaps in terms of how they do their jobs in the field, and and using that insight to leaven and inform how researchers who deeply understand the art of the possible with technology, think about potential solutions so the researchers not on the in the white tower in a vacuum anymore we're bringing that soldier perspective into the conversation so we can think about new avenues for creating capability or new ways that technology can be leveraged that we hope will not just inform specific solutions but also inform our concepts I mean, we need to be thinking about technology in this way because it will drive this outcome, and that needs to be internalized in concepts and requirements.
0: And, and if anything fails, he is the chief
2: innovation officer. <laughs> so I would yeah, that's say… That's right. Uh, so
1: they, they, there's somebody they can fire.
2: <laughs> the So… I have a friend who wrote an article about kind of his time in command as a company commander in 2008 um, in Iraq, and what he wishes he could have had then that that just wasn't available. Um, and one of the things that he said was uh, a credit card and an Amazon Prime account. Um, and certainly, obviously, there are some logistical difficulties with Amazon delivering to his FOB in East Baghdad. Um, but the, and the example that he used was the Raven. Most people are familiar with it. It's a, Supposedly this great tool to kind of see what's over the next hilltop. Um, I Know a lot of people who have had them who have signed for them and who have never flown them because there's an investigation If you lose one, they're difficult to fly There are people that had some challenges He said why can't I just order a DJI quadcopter like mind you our adversary Isis was using um, And just be able to order it and get it to me right away rather than having to go through this long acquisition and fielding process and um, That's obviously an extreme example, but is there is there a vision of a future where something like that happens, where needs are identified so at the sort of hyper local level and can be solved at that level as well?
1: Maybe I'll take a stab at this. Um, well, I was having a conversation with a Marine yesterday about this very issue, and and in in a, an example like that, you run up against the needs of let's say uniformity. If if individ- if you're if you're opening up optionality in terms of the capabilities that we allow our soldiers to leverage, then the guy who falls in on top of that soldier in the next rotation is not necessarily going to have the same skill sets, so we can't be assured of delivering the same effect. And, and to be frank, I think we're going to have to get used to that. I, I think that we are going to have to start pushing down that type of decision-making authority to a more local level uh, and, and allow for some flexibility, which gets into things like, let's say, standards instead of specifying standard issue kit. So standards in terms of what a system can and can't do. So let's let's take the example of the DJI drone. Uh, a DJI drone, if it's not uh, vetted appropriately, could do things like inform the Chinese, of exactly where it's operating, and that's information that we don't want to make available. So the Army would have to then be in a position to accredit, let's say, certain commercially-derived products for use by soldiers, but then give them the flexibility to compose their kit, if you will, based on options that we've that we've pre-authorized or pre-approved. I mean, I think introducing that type of flexibility at the local level, is really the only way that we're going to that we're going to maintain parity with the changes, the rapid rate of operational tactical change that we're seeing. I'm
0: going to give you a, a little bit of a contrary view. Um, so, the scenario that you teased up was, or teased out was, um, you know, really a coin CT kind of centric sure. um, Situation where, if we think about the future and what we're building our army to be, where we're building our army to be effective. Um, in the future operating environment is a highly lethal, highly, you know, what we call hyperactive sort of environment where um, you you need uh, um, solutions that can be sustained, right? For sure. Uh, You may need um, ways of sustaining them that are different than today. And so the supply chain um, and the sustainment um, system actually has to evolve or a, a scenario where you may have to operate semi-independently for a period of time. So your battalion may become separated for, from um, its headquarters, uh, and not by design but um, based on the conditions on the ground. And so how do you sustain yourself for a period of time? Um, the likelihood of you being able to, you know, go to Amazon and order something is, might, might be good to get in the fight, but you're not going to be able to sustain yourself like that. So we've got to build these, the flexible um, systems into the Army, uh, for that new type of scenario. Uh, the other thing I would say is um, you know the future operating environment is is going to um, require our our leaders to be very creative um, in those situations and to continue to use mission command and and whatnot. Um, and so there may be situations where um, you you need to be able to buy a, uh, a local drone, for example, or to use it for a period of time the challenges um in that situation and and with the proliferation of capabilities that we expect in the future there's a re- inherent risk in in and buying something whether it's uh, what's the chinese model name D- DJI. yeah the dji oh, right yeah, so DJI. um so there there's an issue of supply chain integrity and there will be an issue of scale or at scale of threats internal to our systems right so one of the things i think um, as an institution we're really going to have to look at as we deliver future capabilities um, is you know second and third level or tier um, suppliers and the integrity of the capabilities or the systems that they're providing to us whether it's microchips or whether it's some other component that um, it could be at risk in a in a highly lethal hyperactive uh, near peer competitor kind of fight um of the future so those are just some of the other considerations i think we have to think through as we um consider how do you how do you have the flexibility of providing capabilities at a local level um so it, it, it's it sounds good and it's probably easier in some conditions where there's coin ct like it was in afghanistan or iraq um but for you know the um the kinds of fights that we would envision that are um happening at, at speed and at scale in a highly lethal environment, um, it, it may not be as, uh, as good of an analogy, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, so
1: I don't actually think that you're, you're, you're divergent with where I'm coming from. I mean, there's, this is a big army, small army sort of question in many respects. I mean, if, if you're fighting in large formations, having one formation that's fighting a set of kit that's not consistent with the unit that's next to them is probably not the best yeah. idea. Yeah. But if you're if you're highly distributed operations, it's a very different, uh, in my opinion at least, sort of consideration. Certainly. So, the you know the with in the within the context of the
2: modernization strategy and the various other efforts that Futures Command and FCC are are undertaking right now, what are sort of um, what are the things that maybe an average person who has a pretty cursor, or decent but cursory understanding of what what the organizations are doing, What are what's maybe an example of something that would surprise them the most? You know, whether or not it's technology, whether or not it's doctrinal, d- in terms of concept development, uh, is there is there anything that kind of sticks out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just sort of throw a couple things out there. I mean, w- one is that, uh, you know, over the last four years, the department's been very public about the innovation stuff that we're doing and innovation's a horrible word if we can think of another word to start using i'll I'll change my title to match it um i mean uh, to me the surprising thing about what the army's done is we've created four-star structure around getting our arms around how we are going to build capability for the future fight Uh, it's a massive undertaking that the army has has, uh, has has elected to pursue. And I think people don't recognize how significant it is, and I think it's a credit to the Army. So I, I actually think
0: people would probably be surprised um, that Futures Command is driving more than the material aspect, so it's more than just finding, you know, uh, a cannon that shoots farther or the, you know, the future vertical lift, et cetera. I, I think it would be surprising to know that um, – you know, in the in the strategy that we we will deliver, it's going to challenge the Army to think about things like, what's our PCS policy? Should we should we be um, uh, regimentally affiliated? Should we try to align people to you? Know, how do you better use your talent? Um, I think people would be surprised to to um, know that the Army Futures Command in this strategy is going to drive like what's the next CTC evolution? Right, because when we did this back in the 70s and 80s, we didn't have CTCs. We created the National Training Center, the JRTC, out of the necessity to train differently and to um, bring our formations together. So now we've got to do the same thing. I mean, how do you how do you train with EW? How do you train with a, a missile or cannon that shoots further than you know the state boundaries allow for and all those sorts of things? So um, this is the, sort of the whole of Army in fact, if you ask General Murray, who's the future force modernization enterprise, he would say it's the Army, right? So it's alignment of all of these systems to deliver a capability, um,
2: and not just the material piece of it. That would, I mean, organizationally, that would represent a, a, a massive change in terms of the way that you know, if we went to a regimental structure um, or or made some change like that how um, I guess a follow-up question is sort of related to that um, a soldier that has been in for maybe 10 years um, and is going is committed to another 10 12 years how is the second half of their career going to differ um, how is it going to be different than it would be if it if Army futures command did not exist uh,
0: so i would say how what's going to really drive the changes in what somebody's going to experience is aligned to the futures command implementation of a strategy that gets after multi domain operations so um if i'm a tenure you know if i'm a major or a uh, senior captain and um i'm thinking about the next 10 to 15 years what i what i think um so so one is if i, if I ask myself what's in the next 10 to 15 years i might. Think about knee replacement, right, or, or uh, wheelchair <laughs> but for, the, for, for the, these young captains and, and majors. So I think anticipating what this future environment is going to look like and the, how to implement this concept is going to require new tools uh, for developing situational understanding, for example, across the um, electromagnetic spectrum in cyber. How does space a, a affect my ability to operate in this highly contested uh, domain and the those leaders um, are out of necessity gonna to have to have a broader view of the capabilities that the joint force offers. And they're gonna to have to um, have tools and the intellect to understand what does that mean for my ability to maneuver in this, in this new uh, terrain that I find myself in. And, it, and in fact, that the, that leader's formation is probably gonna to have to have hooks into space cyber EW um, and, and a multitude of capabilities and ways of solving problems that um, are not sort of like the singular approaches that we've had now with uh, whether it's an exquisite kill chain or it's days and, and months of planning. It's all you know, very immediate, it's quick, um, and, it's, and it's gonna take a lot of preparation. Um, and the other thing I'd say is that sort of the, the, the uh, transition from what we call um, competition now into armed conflict it's a much thinner line. It's, it's not that I'm gonna be notified and then three months later, I'm gonna be in a theater preparing myself for um, armed conflict. It's this continuum of competition to armed conflict um, creates uh, a lot of uh, sort of gray space where I've gotta rapidly transition. And so I think for senior leaders um, in their education, they've gotta be educated differently to be able to um, Uh, to understand that and to prepare themselves for that sort of transition and i think in their education they've got to be trained on um, these different capabilities across those different domains and across the services Um, so i I think actually the the development the leader development solutions that we have now um, are going to have to evolve to help our leaders have that capacity and the capability
1: sure yeah, I'll let me I'll make two quick points about this. I mean one is that in in the past, the way that we've built capabilities for Army personnel is that, hey, we built something for you, now you go out and use it. I, th- I think in the future, we're going to expect operational army, tactical army to be at the center of capability development. So integrate them much more directly in terms of identifying options for new capabilities, uh, identifying features that should be baked into new capabilities, providing real-time feedback to material developers around how those capabilities can be used or should be used or should be built, but migrating to a more user-focused product development approach where we're soliciting feedback from the operational army at a much greater rate is something that we are, we are looking at. Uh, as a new model
2: from a from a sort of acquisitions material development standpoint is that is that sort of a series of incremental evolutionary changes or or does that mean we need to really fundamentally rethink the way that we acquire and field hardware
1: well I think that we are we are looking at prototyping some things now to see what the results are as a way to inform how to optimize our material development architecture So I I don't don't envision a universe where we rip the Band-Aid off and everything changes overnight. There's too much risk associated with that. But we're serious about figuring out ways that we can streamline and improve and in particular capitalize on that soldier perspective and soldier feedback to drive new capabilities. Yeah, so one of the things I think the cross-functional teams um,
0: have really um, embarked on or um, have – have started to take advantage of is the, the relationship that they have with their force comm counterparts. So every cross-functional team has a habitual relationship with a unit, and that's where they have the opportunity to do this sort of, um, some people call it developmental operate, so DevOps, right? Um, it's really to get the soldier and unit feedback. Um, so I think it's, if we want to end up having solutions that are intuitive, don't take as much training, and everybody likes to use the iPhone app sort of uh, analogy that says I can pick up my iPhone and use a new app and I don't have to be trained for eight hours, you know, before I, mm-hmm. I do that. So I think getting um, leaders feedback, uh, unvarnished um, opinions from our soldiers and, um, is going to be hugely important. And that's one of the um, sort of cornerstones of how we're going to develop solutions that are um, more useful in the future.
2: Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, I think we could probably continue talking for a long time, but we're going to wrap it up here. It's, you know, Futures Command and has and, um, obviously been kind of a hot story now for a couple of years, but I also think that um, there's a lot that people kind of don't necessarily understand about what the organization um, and its subsidiary organizations are, are doing. So I think that uh, our listeners will really appreciate uh, the perspectives that you shared. So thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate thank you. It. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the MWI podcast. One last thing, if you aren't yet following MWI on social media, find us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. It is a great way to stay up to date on all of the new articles, podcast episodes, and research we're publishing every day. Thanks again.